to the Autism Journal podcast. My name is Robin Stewart and today I have a special guest all the way from Texas. Andy, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, I'm Dr. Andrew Colombo Dagavito. Uh, I'm currently at the University of North Texas in Denton, Texas, which is just about an hour north of Dallas. And you're here to talk about a, um, a paper which is uh, using a grounded theory um, to understand autistic people's experience of physical activity. Firstly, can you tell me what grounded theory is and why you used it? Sure. Um, and before I do, I also want to acknowledge my co-authors, um, Dr. Josephine Blagrave at the California State University of Chico and Dr. Sean Healy at the University of Delaware. Thinking about this project uh, and thinking about what we know of physical activity among autistic um, is there's not a great deal of evidence in understanding the process. And that's what grounded theory is really focused on, is understanding how people come to do a, a certain task or a certain event or a certain um, you know, activity. And we know from the evidence um, that autistic adults and even autistic individuals across their lifespan don't engage in as much physical activity as, as non-autistic peers. And we wanted to understand you know, why that was, uh, particularly from autistic individuals' own words and own experiences. And when you say physical activity, what is that all physical activity like running? Is it just does walking count? Does hanging and washing up count? Like what what specifically do you mean by physical activity? Absolutely. Uh, we used a very broad definition of physical activity. And so it, essentially it's moving your body. Um, and we had in our interviews, we had the participants define physical activity for us, uh, mostly because in a lot of the literature, physical activity and exercise tend to be used interchangeably. And I think people often have a very more exercise-centric definition of what physical activity is. And so we were really using physical activity in the broadest sense. So yes, going to the gym and, and doing exercise there is, is physical activity, but also walking around your neighborhood or, um, you know, Doing lawn work could even be considered physical activity. And you spoke to adults on the spectrum. How many people did you speak to? We had 23 um, adults. They ranged anywhere from 18 to 75. So we really wanted to capture a very broad understanding of exercise and physical activity among this population. Um, and they came from, from a fairly diverse background in terms of um, socioeconomic status and whether they were living independently or not. Um, and we had individuals across the United States as well as a few from the United Kingdom. And what was your gender? Um, like how, how many of different genders? We, yeah, we had an even split. Um, we had them define their gender and we had 12 uh, who identified as male and 11 who identified as female. And what did you learn from talking to them? Well, we learned that uh, autistic adults experience physical activity much in the way that non-autistic adults do, um, from engaging in physical activity as a kid all the way into adulthood. Um, you know, there's very clear similarities among uh, between autistic and non-autistic 
individuals. The difference for us was really the instances in which um, somebody may have difficulty starting or difficulty in engaging with certain physical activities. For example, uh, the autistic adults talked a lot about their sensory experiences and whether or not that would actually help them engage uh, or not engage in certain physical activity. And so if they were at a certain gym, for example, and the music was being played really loud, that was a pretty negative experience. And it really influenced whether or not they continued to go and do physical activity uh, in a gym setting. Uh, it didn't dissuade them from doing physical activity as a whole. I think all of our adults that we talked to had a fairly positive view of what physical activity was and, and the role it played in their life. Uh, but a matter of what types of physical activity or where they engaged in physical activity really changed by their experiences. And then uh, it's interesting that you mentioned um, if there was like loud music at the gym. Um, was there a correlation between people's sensory experiences with how they in engage in terms of their sensory needs with physical activity? So um, because it was a qualitative analysis, we didn't do any you know, correlational statistics, but we did notice um, one of the things we noticed as we were building our model, uh, you know, it kind of explains the, what the process looks like visually. Um, in our early models, we had sensory experiences only acting on a person in, in a negative way. But as a, as a part of the grounded theory process, we re-engaged with our participants, you know, after we had, we had sort of settled on a preliminary model and we asked them to to examine it and to tell us, you know, does this represent your experiences? Is there something we're missing? And one of the key pieces of feedback that we got was that the sensory could actually um, be a positive thing or, or could be a facilitator to their physical activity. So, for example, um, a few of our adults talked about swimming and how swimming is physically active and it, and it helps there, but also just the sensation of being in the pool um, was was really stimulating for them and really pleasing for them and wanted, uh, made them want to continue to engage in, in swimming or swimming type activities. What else did you learn? Oh, we learned that we have a lot more to know. Um, I think we really just started to scratch the surface uh, with this particular area. I think the other, one of the thing that's, that came up for, for me and, and for my co-authors was how much our autistic adults wanted to engage with physical activity. And I think we have this perception based on the way that the, the research is, is written and, and presented, um, you know, in academic spaces that because autistic adults uh, or even autistic individuals, you know, young adults, kids, because they don't engage in the same amount of physical activity doesn't mean they have a motivation to. But we found adults wanted to. It's just they faced so many barriers um, or there were so many instances in which their physical activity may have looked a little bit different than how an expert might define it. And so I think we really have to, to keep delving in to this area to look at, well, well what are the things that are needed um, for autistic adults to be successful? And how do we make sure that the experiences that they engage in, whether it's, uh, you know, when they're a child uh, or whether they're a young adult or even an older adult, what are the things that they need in order to make sure that that engagement 
is is done successfully and it's a positive way, it's encouraging, and therefore they're going to be more likely to engage in in that physical activity or others um, in the future. I'm curious about if, um, like obviously all autistic people are different, but I'm curious as to whether you picked up on any um, sort of common experiences around difficulties, like maybe some of, like you were saying about some people finding it difficult to get started. Um, and I just wondered if there was um, within your participants whether many of them had sort of negative experiences, particularly maybe around team games at school, and that that had sort of caused uh, a mental block for want of a better word. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> there were a lot of negative experiences, and especially when we talk to the older adults, um, you know, individuals who may be in their 50s or 60s, you know we had them talk about their experiences across their lifespan. And so they talked about trying to engage in sport, you know, when they were a kid 50 years ago. And our understanding of autism obviously back then was very different. And, and they went through some very traumatic experiences. Um, and it, in some ways, it's amazing that they still continued to engage in certain physical activities because of those. But one of the things we really did notice that was fairly common across all of our adults was the idea of competitive versus non-competitive sports. And it seemed that a lot of the adults uh, really wanted non-competitive options. And they could have participated on sports teams. They may have been a part of clubs. Once those clubs or those teams started to become competitive, it really turned into a negative for them because you know, maybe they weren't as you know physically capable as their peers. They might not have had the, the skill set, but they still enjoyed participating. But because it became competitive, now there was tryouts and it, there was a lot of stress that was involved. And so there were a few adults that we talked to that they may have been on a swim team or a soccer team. And once it started to get really competitive, somewhere around you know the middle school age, at least when we call that in the States, you know, around um, 11, 12, 13, somewhere in kind of that that early adolescence where, where sport turns from just sort of being participatory and fun and engaging and a group thing to now it's now it's competition, that that was a really big turnoff for a lot of people. And so some of them even stopped doing that sport completely um, for years because of those experiences. That's interesting. That's really interesting. So did did people say that their motivation was more um, social for engaging with physical activity rather than the competitive? Yeah, I think um, some were some did. So not I can't say all, but there were some individuals who really liked just engaging with others in their own capacity. So we had one participant who really liked doing yoga. And for her, Yoga was enough of a social experience because you you went in and there's other people doing it at the same time as you, and you get to engage you know on on your level or you know when you're ready to. So sometimes she may have gone into that experience and talked to the person next to her, engage with them. And other times, the nice thing about yoga is you can go into the room, set your mat down, sit down quietly. Nobody talks to you. The instructor doesn't really jump in right away. And so for her, she was able to engage, um, you know. At, when she wanted to at her own uh, level and others um, you know they had peers either who were parents or siblings or significant others or, or close friends 
a lot of the participants we talked to had some social group. And that's actually one part of this study that we're, we're still getting into is we have some data on their social networks and the people that they have identified as being important to really, you know, getting them physically active. And uh, so we still have that to go into and, and, and really kind of parse out. But we did notice that these social experiences that having someone um, to either help get them engaged or keep them motivated to do physical activity or just to be accountable to was really helpful for a lot of adults. But again, it wasn't anything in, in a competitive fashion. It was, you know, let's go out and do this thing because it's fun and, and we get to spend time together or we get to go to a certain place and do it. Um, so those were kind of the big things that came out for us. What do you want to do next? So for us, I think we're going to continue to you know, examine the role of physical activity um, for autistic individuals and what role it might play in you know, how somebody might cope with anxiety or, or how they might um, improve their depression, because we do know physical activity can do that. Um, but we also know there's there's there is a lot of these barriers that that individuals come in contact with uh, when they try to engage in physical activity. And in another study um, that we just finished up, we talked with again a, a number of autistic individuals about their physical activity experiences. And some were like, "Yes, I I want to do physical activity, but you know the the process it takes to to plan out how I'm going to be physically active or you know, the, the preparation that it takes to have to go into an environment that might not be sensory friendly often outweighs the need to do that physical activity. And so they, they prioritize their mental health and their ability to, you know, continue doing other tasks versus just getting physical activity because it's good for their health. Uh, so I think we really need to, to continue to look at what the role is and, you know, how do we make sure that these experiences are really accommodating and then they're accessible. And the other aspect about this particular study is that we we only engaged with autistic adults um, who had verbal communication skills. And we did that mostly because it, it was an, an early study. We, we were really investigating. We didn't have a lot to go off of. And there's not a, a great amount of evidence how on how to do interviews or how to engage with autistic individuals who may be minimally or nonverbal, uh, at least uh, you know expressively verbal. And I think their experiences are markedly different than the ones we've represented here, and they need to be engaged with and understood because because we know they exist and we know they also need to engage in physical activity for their overall health. Brilliant. Well, I mean, we could talk for hours about this probably, um, but um, we have to keep it short because the podcast is only 15 minutes. So thank you so much um, for talking to yeah. me. And I'd also like to say thank you very much to Laura Crane. It's her last podcast. So thank you, Laura. It's been a pleasure working with you and I will miss working with you in this capacity. If you'd like to visit the journal's website and uh, read Andy's paper for yourself, you can go to journals.sagepub.com forward slash home forward slash alt. Alt is spelt A-U-T. Mm -hmm.